Hello Duval Nation, Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Show. And now, on with the show. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. As you just heard prior to the intro, we are now sponsored by the great folks over at BetterHelp. I've been a huge fan of theirs for quite some time, so to be able to work with them is quite an honor. The link is live, so go to www.betterhelp.com slash Derek Show, and you'll get set up with a wide variety of therapists. Trust me, I speak from experience. Talk therapy can change your life, and those are not just empty words. Believe me. All right, so before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Dr. Andrew Owens, Ph.D., what a delightful gentleman. And other than when I get to guest spot on my old show, Too Many Captains, or when I do the Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies, I don't get to talk film stuff with people very often. So this was very refreshing. So Andy, thanks for coming on the show. And if you've not heard our incredible interview, I strongly encourage you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 159, and we have a great show lined up for you today. We have on the show retired U.S. Army Colonel David Fivecoat. Colonel Fivecoat will be talking to us about his long and decorated career in the U.S. Army, his many deployments, and he will be talking to us about his new book, Grow Your Grit, Overcome Obstacles, Thrive, and Accomplish Your Goals. The good Colonel was a great guest, and I cannot wait for you to hear his amazing story, so let's get him on out here. Duval Nation, please rise to your feet, and welcome to the show calling in today from Columbus, Georgia, former U.S. Army Colonel David Fivecoat.
David, good evening. Welcome to the Dark of All Show. How was the weather out by you today? We had an amazing day here in, in uh, Columbus, Georgia. Uh, it was about 75 and uh, clear blue skies. So I took took the opportunity to uh, start putting my garden in this year. Nice, nice. So I start my news off the same way. That is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic up to this point? It's been an interesting ride. At the beginning of COVID, I left one company and started my own company, the Five Co Consulting Group. Got a dog. That was uh, another one. Sam Sam is uh, back there in her uh, usual spot Aww. and uh, and put in a garden. And I've done the garden now for the, this is now the last three years, uh, have, have done a garden and have enjoyed that. I will say last year was not the best year uh, for the garden. Hopefully this year, the tomatoes are a little bit better. There's a uh, lady that I collaborate with on the show quite often. She runs a YouTube gardening channel and uh, her house, she's got a greenhouse, the whole works. It's very actually quite therapeutic for her. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am not, I am not that high tech. I am lucky <laughs> if I can, if I can get the stuff watered a couple of times a week and uh, hope and lots of fingers crossed that the stuff actually grows. Nice. Nice. So every journey has a beginning. Uh, where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? Yeah, so uh, I, I was born and raised in Delaware, Ohio. Delaware, Ohio is uh, right north of Columbus. When I was when I grew up there, it was a separate city, and now it's sort of become sort of the northern suburbs uh, of Columbus. My folks still live there. Great place to grow up. Uh, about twelve hundred folks in the high school. Uh, made some lifelong friends there, and and it it was a good place to grow up. I have not returned to there, though. The funny thing is I, I grew up in, and folks, uh, friends make fun of me for this, but I grew up just north of Columbus, Ohio, and I now live outside of Columbus, Georgia. And so I'm, uh, I, I guess I would have to head, head to Columbus, Mississippi next to uh, keep, <laughs> keep that trend going. Nice. So what inspired you to join the United States Army? I always loved reading military history. probably read every single book on World War II I could get my hands on in the Delaware County Public Library. And when it came time to apply to college, um, you know, all the World War II generals in the in the army, for the most part, were graduates of West Point. And so I went on a visit, and I was hooked. You know, the uniforms, and I got to spend the night in the barracks, and it was, you know, just a great experience. And so I decided to go. I applied early to West Point and got in, and uh, made the decision to, to to attend West Point. You're a graduate of the National War College and, of course, West Point. What are your favorite memories from your time at the Academy? Made some lifelong friends there. One of the cool things that West Point did in, in the 90s when I was there was um, I was not good enough to play on the, the varsity football team, but they offered eight-man full-tackle football as an intramural sport. And you could only play it for two years. I got to play it for two years. I was a lineman and a linebacker in high school, but I got to do every lineman's dream in this eight-man football, was which was get to play running back because I'd played football before and I, I knew which way to run. Uh, I was not the fastest guy. The the playing eight-man football was a great memory from West Point. Had some phenomenal instructors that inspired me for a lifetime of service in the in the Army. Two in particular, Dave Lamb was a veteran of the 82nd Airborne Division, infantry officer, had invaded Grenada and really talked it up. And it, it, after I had him for class, my freshman year, I'm like, all right, I'm sold. I'm going to go be an infantry officer and go to the 82nd Airborne Division. And that's what I want to do. And fought really hard to get my class ranked to where it needed to be so I could go and do that and had a great experience in the 82nd Airborne Division. That's fantastic. 
Um, in your many years, and we're talking many, many years here, uh, how many deployments did you end up doing? So I did a year in Korea, uh, six months in Kosovo, six months in Bosnia, three trips to Iraq, and a trip to Afghanistan. All told, the combat side of it was about 41 months in Iraq and Afghanistan. Hmm. So there is a buzz phrase that gets kicked around from time to time in war films, documentaries, and such when it comes to military officers. And that phrase is the burden of command. As a military officer, has there ever come a time when you had to make a choice that you knew the odds were stacked against you and your men? Wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> jump right into the, the tough questions there. So I led a battalion in Afghanistan from uh, 2010 to, to 2011. We fought in southeastern Afghanistan. Uh, for, the, for the viewers that aren't, aren't uh, from the military, a battalion was about 700 uh, people. Uh, we had the western portion of Paktika province, and then we eventually moved over to Ghazni province. And we were in a tough fight in both provinces. Uh, over the course of the deployment, we had three soldiers killed and 100 soldiers wounded. The tough, you know, tough decisions where, you know, the odds were stacked against me, some of the decisions, you, you know, you feel regret where, you know, uh, you know, you lose a soldier or you get a, bu a bunch of soldiers that are, are wounded because of decisions that, that you made and play out. You know, the enemy always has a vote. You don't know what the enemy is going to do. You're always trying to dominate them, but they're thinking and reacting and, and, and doing uh, that. And so the burden of command is real, you know, to be the, you know, the one person that's in charge of these 700 people and everybody's looking for you to make decisions every day of this 365 day deployment was challenging. And, it's more not burden, but the loneliness of it. Because your peers, you know, my peers during that deployment were each in, you know, a different half of the province or a different province even. And to be able to, you know, just, you know, shoot the breeze with a peer was kind of tough. The company commanders were equally isolated. The company commanders were my direct reports. They were isolated too. And they would, you know, be 20 to 30 miles apart from each other. And so that, you know, overwhelming sense and loneliness of command is, is real. What was your leadership style in all your years as a, as a, as a military officer? You know, always tried to lead by example. You know, that was a fundamental tenant. Uh, always tried to, you know, whatever I asked others to do, I tried to make sure that I was, was doing that and, uh, you know, leading by example. I'm kind of an organized person. And so I know I drove the staff that worked for me pretty hard to try to make sure that the plans were organized and prepared and set the companies up for success for the guys that were actually out on the ground executing that stuff. You know, frankly, to be honest, I, I'm sure that there are some folks that said I drove the staff too hard and, you know, could have relaxed a little bit and been a little bit easier on that. Another tenet of mine as a leader was always to try to be as transparent as possible. I did that both in combat. I thought one of the things that was important for us to do was tell the story to the American people. So we hosted a series of reporters that came down and visited the company from Chris Chivers from the New York Times, Wesley Morgan, a couple of the other uh, guys that, that visited. And then I did that again when I was a brigade commander here in, at Fort Benning, Georgia, leading the Airborne and Ranger Training Brigade. And as we went through some pretty big change, 
Uh, we also invited reporters in to to see it and be as transparent as possible to the American people as we we're going through this this uh, you know sort of huge organizational change, which was the opening of Ranger School to women, which eventually led to the Army deciding to open all jobs and and all positions to women. I didn't know that Rangers uh, women were allowed in the Ranger School. Now that's amazing. Yeah, so the first 19 started off in April of 2015. Three eventually graduated at that point in time. And since then, since October of 15, there's been another 105 or 110 women that have graduated Ranger School. That's incredible. yeah, and they're they're now serving in every job. There are infa- there are women that are leading infantry platoons and infantry rifle companies right now, armor tank platoon leaders and tank company commanders uh, as well. I've been so far removed from my time in the Navy, and I don't even know if it's any women who have attended BUDS yet. So that's interesting. They had one woman that I think qualified for the boat side uh, of things. Uh, mm-hmm. If I'm still up on on my my uh, my, my gender integration. Uh, stuff. Ranger School has actually, you know, sort of led the way for the the services on the special side of things. Yeah. Two women, I think, have or one woman has has graduated from the Air Force. I think it's the Special Tactics Program, and two women have graduated and earned the the Special Forces tab. But no women have earned the Trident in, in the SEAL training yet. Interesting. Yeah. So, what was your driving decision to leave the Army? Was it retirement? You know, I always said that I was going to stop sticking around the army when it stopped being fun. And going through a divorce, my daughter was here in Columbus, Georgia, and the army said, "Hey, we want you to move." And at that point in time, I said, "Well, I don't want to be a long distance father, and I think it's important for me to stay here and help raise my daughter rather than continue to run around the army." And so that, for me, was the driving factor to to leave the army. I retired in 2017 as a full colonel and started off my journey uh, on the corporate side of things. That's admirable as hell. I really, I, I have to admit that's absolutely admirable. Speaking of getting into the corporate side of things, tell my listeners what inspired you to found the Five Coat Consulting Group and what is the mission of this organization for my listeners who are not familiar? Yeah. One of the more interesting things is, you know, we all go through a transition in, in life and for folks leaving the service, especially after 24 years, pretty big change. I left and joined another company for a couple of years. And then March of 2020, the beginning of COVID, I decided the great thing I should do is uh, start my own company. And so I founded the Five Code Consulting Group. We do a couple of different things. We basically try to make leaders the best that they possibly can be. Uh, and we do that through both executive coaching, leadership training, and a little bit of business consulting. One of the things that I did in 20, or actually 20, from 20 to 21, was I wrote a book which was called Grow Your Grit for your listeners about uh, how to uh, overcome obstacles, thrive, and accomplish your your long-range goals. There's two parts to the book. The first part deals with how to build your personal grit. And then the second one, the second half of the book is if you're a leader, how do you develop a gritty organization? And what are some tools to do that? Where did the inspiration come from to write this book? So I was talking to a client about a separate project. I was doing some business consulting for them. And she said, hey, you're kind of gritty. You know, we're about ready to hire this guy to teach our folks how to be gritty. Would you look at his stuff? And I looked at his stuff and I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was great. And I, I gave her the feedback and she said, well, if, <laughs> why don't you do something like that? And I was like, huh, 
I'd always wanted to write a book and I said, well, Al, actually that, that sort of fits. I've, I've got some grit experience. I think I can offer something to folks and help them develop their grit and, and accomplish their goals. And so I do a blog as part of TFCG. I publish every day on Tuesday. And for quite a while, I publish blog posts on developing your grit. I stole an idea from Andy Weir. I don't know if you're an Andy Weir fan. I know the uh, name. He wrote The Martian, became the movie with, with, with Matt, Matt Damon. Damon. But one of the things he did was he rolled the book out in chapters on his blog for free. And he had all this following of NASA scientists and stuff like that. I will not say that I've got NASA scientists following me on the blog. But I did roll a bunch of the chapters out uh, in the blog to test them and get feedback from readers. And I took their feedback and adjusted it before I sent it off to my editor and, and she polished it up. Obviously, I don't want you to divulge the whole book, but just off the top of your head, what are some lessons that you can share with my listeners that are actually in the book? The biggest one, and I will you know, completely candidly, I did not do this in the army. There's a lot of things in there that are from my army experience, but one of the biggest things is developing your personal purpose and understanding your personal purpose or your why. I use that now as a tool with my executive coaching clients. They found it incredibly helpful, especially as you're trying to balance your work and your, your home life together. It's important to figure out what your, your top values are and then how those fit together and spend that intellectual energy to think about what's, what's my personal purpose. Then once you've figured out your personal purpose and you're not going to get it right the first time, it's an iterative process and, and you got to keep, keep working on it and polishing it. But then you do goal setting. You don't start out doing goal setting and then say, Hey, let's do our, let's figure out the personal purpose. But once you've, you've done your personal purpose, then you can tie your goals to your personal purpose. And it just becomes that much more powerful. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you know, exponential growth when you can tie your, your goals, whether they're personal or professional, to your personal purpose. General Petraeus gave it a glowing review. How has the book been received overall? So it's a self-published book. When I started down this road, you know, of course, you know, every author is worried that nobody's going to read it right? And you're going to spend all this work and energy. So self-published it. I, at the time in 2021, I saw a stat that said the average book in the United States sells 400 copies. And so when the book sold the 401st copy, I said, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm above average. And the book has done some good for some people. When last I checked, I think there were 32 five-star reviews on Amazon. It's a relatively quick read. It's a 230 some odd pages. And I've gotten a lot of positive feedback that, that folks have found it helpful and they've been able to take some of the lessons out of it and apply it to their lives and accomplish their gritty goals. I've never heard the statistic about the 400 copies, but I'm definitely going to, I have a few friends of mine who are self-published. I'm going to tell them that and see if that'll cheer them up. Cause <laughs> like, like me, when I release these episodes, I mean, I know the show does well, but you every now and again, you, you drop one, you're like, is anybody ever going to listen to this? So, you know, it, it plays on your mind. I get it 100%. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Colonel David Fivecoat. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths, you know, Clouseau style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Are you tired of conversations being guided by the loudest voices in the room? Are you tired of people being nice because they're afraid of the consequences if they're actually honest? 
Are you talking to people that are so afraid of saying what is actually going on that they completely neglect the truth? Well, if that's the case, and you want to hear something that makes you go, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking, but I'm afraid to say it. Come check out I Had to Say It, the podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast fix or at IHadToSayItPodcast.com. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duval Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun with Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember, folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. We're This is Chad from The Shame. We're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find our stuff at theshameshop.com or listen to it on almost all the streaming services. We'll see you down the pub. Cheers. everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in operation enduring freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Sometimes people have a story to tell. It could be a story of triumph or a story of sorrow. However, it's their story. It's important to keep their story authentic, in their own words, and delivered in a delicate way. That's where Unfiltered Discussions podcast comes in. I'm Brian Howard. I talk with my guests about tough subjects and pivotal moments. I'd love for you to hear their stories. Subscribe to Unfiltered Discussions on your favorite podcast platform. Let's ensure their stories are heard. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy.
This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Welcome back to episode 159 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the author of the book, Grow Your Grits, Overcome Obstacles, Thrive, and Accomplish Your Goals, former U.S. Army Colonel David Fifecoat. Right. We share a mutual interest in World War II history. You mentioned prior to this interview that you are working on a series based on leaders and leadership in the European theater of operations. Tell me and my listeners more about that, please. Yeah, the blog is, so like I said earlier, I blog once once a week on Tuesdays. It comes out at about 4 a.m. On the, on the blog page, and then I will cross-post it on LinkedIn, and you can join my newsletter and, and follow it along there. One of the things that I'm, I'm getting into this year is taking corporate groups to battlefields and using the case studies of leaders and their leadership on that battlefield in times of high crisis as ways to teach leadership lessons to corporate folks to be able to use them today. And one of the things that I did to help sort of set the stage is using the blog post as a forum to examine some of the leaders and leadership of folks in World War II. I offer battlefields uh, both in the European theater in World War II and then across the United States at a variety of locations. And I was like, hey, it'd be kind of fun to do, I think I'll do end up doing uh, 40 blog posts on various leaders and, and aspects of World War II leadership. Started off, worked my way from the top down. So the first blog post in January was on uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, uh, and then worked to Marshall, and then have worked my way through Eisenhower. I have about, in part of this was I was doing a talk on the leadership of Dwight Eisenhower, both at D-Day uh, and through the European theater. Uh, and so I've sort of expanded that with the, with the blog. One of the last blog posts was on uh, General Jim Gavin. Uh, it was his uh, was 116th birthday, I think. Jim Gavin uh, commanded the 82nd. He didn't command the 82nd in the jump into Normandy. He was the assistant division commander at that point in time, but he commands the 82nd in the jump into Market Garden and then for the re remainder of the war. A friend had just published his diary from the war, and so I read, I read through the diary. Uh, there were some great leadership nuggets uh, from it. Um, the, the best one that I, that I, that I really liked was, um, he was the commander of the 505th parachute regiment, which was one of the subordinate units, uh, in the 82nd airborne division, um, in, uh, both, he takes them to North Africa and they don't fight North Africa, but they do the invasion of Sicily and then Italy. Uh, but before they leave North Carolina, he says, well, you know, I hope the boys fight as well in combat as they do in Fayetteville, North Carolina. All my friends that I had served with in the 82nd all got a big chuckle that Gavin was saying that in 1942 or 43, uh, and it's it still holds true today. You know, it's amazing. We're about to talk about this next question. Uh, in fact, I'll just go ahead and ask it right now. We're going to talk about World War II films, but there is something that you just brought up that I was talking to someone else recently about. World War II films, you you see the European theater, you see you know the Allies versus the Germans. 
You see the Pacific Theater, the Allies versus the Japanese. You never see films about the Allies versus the Italians. That is something you don't see very often, and you just touched on that a little bit. So if you know of one that I don't, let's go ahead and talk about it. What are your favorite World War II films? Well, first, got me thinking about why no one shows the Italians. Part of it was the Italians really struggled in World War II. You know, they invade Greece. First, they're they're fighting in North Africa, so the, the Germans have to commit a large number of forces to North Africa, which is why Rommel uh, ends up in North Africa. The Italians decide to invade Greece. The Germans have to go bail them out because that isn't going very well, and that delays the German invasion of uh, Russia. The Italians capitulate in 1943, and the Germans continue fighting up the Italian boot the rest of the war. And so uh, that may be why the, there isn't a whole lot of good Allies versus Italian uh, war films out there. I would say the one that I've watched the most is the the Band of Brothers miniseries. I know, yeah. I know that that might be expanding oh, a little no, uh, no, no, a little no. bit because it's not a true a true movie. But frankly, I really enjoy that. Some old school ones for some of your listeners that may not have seen them. Uh, if they get a chance, watch Twelve O'clock High. It's a great uh, movie about the bombing campaign on Nazi Germany uh, by the American uh, Air Force, the Eighth Air Force. There is a mini series coming out from HBO in the same way that they did Band of Brothers in the Pacific. Yep. It's a great sort of way to get into the history uh, before that comes out. But there's a, it's also a great leadership tool because there's two different uh, leaders in it, and to compare and contrast their leadership style in that movie is a is a great tool that I've done with a couple of uh, corporate groups. You know, it's amazing you say that. Um, I had Captain Dale Die on the show last year. And he played Colonel Sink in Band yeah. of Brothers. He was the technical advisor. He does this for all the military movies. He's kind yeah. of like, he's, he's the, the guru for Hollywood Warriors. Yeah. And to hear him talk and telling these amazing stories about training the actors for Band of Brothers. And then, of course, training him for Pacific. And now, of course, you just brought it up. He's been working on the one about the bombing campaign. It's absolutely, it gives you the chills is how invested he is and how he gets it absolutely right. And he was telling me um, occasionally they'll have like Zoom calls and they still call him Skipper. All the actors who were on the show, they will, they will call him nothing but Skipper. And I think that's, that's absolutely some of the greatest praise you could ever have for uh, an actor. And then a couple months after that, I had Bill Parker on my show. And he is 98 years old, first man to set foot on Omaha Beach. Oh, wow. And, it, and he watched Saving Private Ryan and he said it was 100% like they got it. So I sent Captain Dale Dye an email saying – and I sent him the clip from the interview, and he wrote back, and he said, that's about as good as getting an Oscar for me. But someone who was there said, we got it perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I mean, what can you do? Yeah. yeah. So. No, the, the the combat footage uh, at the beginning of, of Saving Private Ryan uh, is – from my experience in Iraq and Afghanistan, it, it, it didn't it didn't equal the, equal to what the guys went through in on Omaha and Utah Beach, but the combat scenes were were top notch. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I do have a question that I've asked, every, and we're going to get a little serious for a second. Um, I have a question I have asked every military veteran who's been on my show since uh, of, since two years now. What were your emotions during the fall of Afghanistan and the end of the war? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so, you know, I fought in Afghanistan in, in 10 and 11, thought there was a chance. And, and then I continued to work on Afghanistan from the from the joint staff and the Pentagon in 13 and 14. You know, 
you want to feel the success that the the greatest generation uh, felt with their wars. Uh, unfortunately, I'm confused in the same way that my brothers in arms came out of the Vietnam conflict uh, confused. Iraq wasn't an overwhelming victory. Afghanistan, uh, we end up with uh, with really a botched withdrawal. Uh, and it's tough because, you know, I and the guys that, that worked with me and for me, you know, shed a whole lot of, you know, sweat and tears and blood uh, in that country uh, for years. Uh, and for it to end that way uh, just, you know, makes it even more confusing and, and tough to deal with and, and disappointing. I wrote an article that was published in one of the, the the big military think magazines about the Soviet withdrawal from Afghanistan. I wrote this in 2012 as part of my war college experience, and I picked up on five lessons that the the Soviets did that we could learn and and apply. And the biggest one was that the Soviets were able to build an Afghan air force in the ten years that they were uh, in Afghanistan, and for whatever reason, we struggled to build an Afghan air force. We built, we taught the Afghans to fight in the same way that we fight, which is combined arms with air cover. And and from all, all my engagements in Afghanistan, the Taliban would stick around and fight until you brought in uh, attack helicopters or or aircraft, and then they'd break contact, get on their motorcycles, and and ride off. We taught the Afghans to fight that way, and then we couldn't build them an air force fast enough and we're still messing around with it in 17, 18, 19. And to me, that's the overwhelming reason why the Afghan government collapsed or the Afghan army collapsed that fast is uh, in April of, was it 19 or 20, we actually pulled all the contractors out and the contracted support was all the contracted support that was keeping the helicopters and fixed wing aviation flying for the Afghan uh, Air Force, and once we did that, that was that was the beginning of the end because yeah. uh, you know we you can't teach an army to fight differently in two months and hold the country together when you've told them that hey you need to have this air power and and all of a sudden that disappears. Right. So that leads me to my next question: What could the VA and the American public be doing better to help veterans returning home from? this war and re-entering into civilian life? Well, one of the big things that I uh, that I appreciate is the recent passage, I think it's called the, the, the PACT Act, which was the burn pit uh, registry. And as part of the VA, I encourage all the listeners out there that uh, spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I know I got exposed to 41 months of burn pits and probably another six months in Kosovo of burn pits. Uh, it's one of the things on my list to do this year is to register myself on the the burn pit registry and start that process through the VA channels. I don't have you know upper respiratory problems right now, but I know it might be coming on down the road because you know sleeping next to a burn pit pit for 41 months certainly didn't help my health at all. Yeah. So please take advantage of it if you haven't done that uh, and and register yourself for it. Okay. I always like to ask this kind of uh, philosophical question. That's, you know, your current self gets to talk to your younger version of you. What do you say to him? Well, that's a great question. You know, I think, you know, just, you know, focus on the important things, focus on your health, 
focus on your work ethic uh, and focus on 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 being a good father. Awesome. So, what's next for you? Is there another book? I I have contemplated trying to to trying to sit down and write another book. And actually, I'm I'm really interested in trying to write a fiction book, uh, just because. And actually, I want to write it uh, on, on Afghanistan, and I've been playing around with chapters and and, and stuff. Uh, it hasn't come together in the same way that the Grow Your Grit book uh, did. Maybe I need to call that uh, person again and ask her to 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 tell me to 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 sit down and <laughs> write the Afghan book uh, because uh, I I feel like I got something to say uh, about that, and and maybe it can help me and other folks understand the Afghan experience a little bit better. That makes sense. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question. That's, you know, what do you like to do to relax, have fun? Yeah, so the big thing is I'm a big-time cyclist. It, it was one of the things, and I encourage folks that are, are thinking about transitioning from the, from the military. When, when you transition out of the military, you got to change your identity because a lot of your identity, I'm sure yours was wrapped up around being uh, in the Navy and being a, a sailor. Uh, mine was certainly being a soldier. Uh, one of the bridging things that helped me a lot was uh, physical fitness. And when I first first got out, I was a big triathlete. When COVID hit, for whatever reason, I couldn't get to the pool. So I got focused just on cycling. Uh, I just got back from Belgium where I went and over and I rode the Perry roubaix Challenge, which is you ride on the actual race course that the pros ride on. I did all uh, 19 stages of the cobbles, and it was a, an amazing experience. I got a big big race coming up Saturday. And, uh, so I was on the, uh, I was on the bike this afternoon. I'll, I'll get up tomorrow and be out on the bike tomorrow, uh, when, and, uh, getting after it. If you ever make it to Tulsa, we have a huge race here. The people come from all over the world for it. It's called Tulsa tough. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's, there's a real big cash prize and it gets national coverage now, I believe. So yeah. It's yeah. Pretty, pretty that's cool. a, that's a crit, right? It, it goes around the downtown. A bunch yeah. Of yeah. There's, there's that, and then there's a long distance version. And yes, okay, yes. To answer your question, yes, there is. Yeah. So, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Yeah. So, uh, follow the blog. I'm at www.thefivecoatconsultinggroup.com. Uh, all, all one word. Sign up for the blog, and you'll get it in your in in your email inbox once a week. Okay. I have my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth? I heard you ask this question uh, on, the, on the podcast I listened to. So I thought about this, this one for a while. The thing that I would tell people of the earth is make sure you take care of the planet. It's the only one we got. I've got a 13 year old daughter. It's important to recycle and, and treat the planet well. Uh, as we go forward, because it's the only one we got. Awesome. The book is Grow Your Grit, Overcome Obstacles, Thrive, and Accomplish Your Goals, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Colonel, thanks for taking the time to come on today. This has been truly, truly amazing. Derek, thanks for having me. I uh, right. really enjoyed it today. Congratulations on the book, and best of luck to you, okay? All right. Thank you. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 159. I want to thank Colonel Fiveco for taking the time out of his incredibly busy schedule to speak with me. As you can tell, he has lived an incredible life and still has many, many chapters yet to write in his story. 
I hope he returns to the show again with his next project. The Good Colonel has sent me a copy of his book and some exercises to do, so I look forward to diving into that very soon. So, Colonel, thanks again for coming on the show. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We do prefer good ones, though. Just saying. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again... I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. So on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, okay, I'm going to have a rant here. Has anyone sat down and looked at the price of all the streaming services? Holy hell, it costs as much as cable. Plus, what's with HBO Max dropping the HBO? Remember when HBO actually meant something? Man, you know, (laughs) I sound like an old man shouting in a cloud right now. Anyways... Nostar, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.